I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Marcellix is developing controllable cell therapies for the treatment of cancer and autoimmune diseases. Its platform technology allows it to mark diseased cells within the body for destruction. Its cell therapies then destroy the flag cells. We spoke to Rami Elgendor, chairman and CEO of Arcelix, about the company's platform technology, how it works, and how it may lead to safer and more effective cell therapies. Rami, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Danny. Excited to be here. We're going to talk about Arcelix, its platform for developing cell therapies, and its efforts to develop safer and more effective cell therapies for cancer and autoimmune diseases. Let's start with existing CAR-T therapies. What limits their benefits and broader use today? Sure. Um, So cell therapies have shown a benefit now across a range of indications, but they've been historically constrained really largely due to their existing biologic structures um, and specifically with respect to both efficacy and access. In terms of efficacy, uh, what limits the efficacy of existing CAR-T therapies is largely their design or, or their biologic structure, which can cause safety uh, issues, as we can talk about a little bit later, as well as T-cell exhaustion. Effectively, the uh, CAR-Ts can in, uh, interact with each other or engage with each other absent uh, tumor cells and get exhausted and thus not have enough, uh, enough capacity to really fully clear the tumors. Uh, From an access perspective, scalability is key. CAR-Ts are uh, relatively difficult to manufacture, as been evidenced by the struggles from some of the larger companies in the space, including BMS, J&J, and Novartis. And so there are really two elements there. One is the intrinsic design of the CAR-T, and is it scalable? And then the other one is really thinking very strategically about the approach to scalability and making sure you build your infrastructure in a way that allows you to impact the most uh, patients possible. Arcelix is engineering a new class of autologous and allergenic CAR-Ts with what it calls D-domain binders. What are D-domain binders? So the D-domain is a novel synthetic uh, binder compared to SCFVs, which are what's most broadly utilized as well as the bivalent camelid approach utilized by some the D-domain is smaller and simpler, and thus it's it's relatively easier for cells to express. It's comprised of, uh, of, a, of alpha helical structures with a hydrophobic core that keeps it very tightly bound. And notably, it doesn't have the intricate folds that you would see in a typical binding construct, which again, allows cells to express it more easily. I like to think of, of cells as little manufacturing plants, and so, When you try to transduce them with a viral vector to get them to express one of these binders, the simpler, smaller binder is going to be expressed more consistently, um, and that's that's the aim uh, of the D-domain. And 
How does this give you a CAR T cell that has distinct advantages? So it gives us uh, it gives us a couple of advantages. Uh, the first is because of uh, of its ease of expression, if you will, we tend to see a higher transduction efficiency uh, with the D domain, meaning that more of the cells that we uh, that we transduce are are CAR positive and tumor killing. And what that allows us to do is actually have an overall lower total cell dose on a relative basis than other CAR Ts, uh, which could play into safety because those excess cells, uh, if you're using a non-D domain binder uh, due to a lower transduction efficiency, can still contribute to CRS and other safety-related uh, uh, issues. In addition uh, to that high transduction efficiency, we tend to get high surface expression with the D domain while at the same time uh, not getting much in the way of tonic signaling. And the combination of those two attributes is really unique. It allows us uh, to, uh, to really uh, kill tumors in environments with low antigen expression and to, again, have a relatively better uh, safety profile. The third and final real advantage of the D domain is the consistent manufacturability. Again, given that it is a binder that is relatively easier to express, we've seen 100% uh, overall success rate manufacturing cells for our patients to date and very consistent metrics across that manufacturing process. And that again gives us the hope that we have a scalable therapy here that can benefit a broad set of patients, particularly given uh, the size um, uh, and the prevalence of multiple myeloma. In addition to the DD cars, you're also developing what you call arc sparks, which are adaptable versions of your DD cars. The arc sparks you call controllable and adaptable modular therapies. How do those work? So those are really interesting uh, because what they allow us to do is to dose the T cells separately from the binding domain. One of the biggest challenges in CAR T's is antigen heterogeneity particularly as you get into solid tumors, but even in an indication like AML, which we hope to pursue uh, in the, towards the end of this year in a new clinical study. Um, so to deal with antigen heterogeneity, the ability to effectively dose multiple binding domains and, and allow them to effectively control the function of that T cell in vivo and to attack different elements of a tumor based on that expression uh, is really valuable. It also makes the CAR-T therapy dosable. So in indications where safety is a particular concern, as we talked about a little bit earlier, you can dose the CAR-T, you can effectively uh, stretch that cell expansion over a longer period of time with a lower peak. Um, and, and that could be a, a distinct advantage again in, in, uh, in cancers where uh, safety is a particular issue. Oh, as you think about developing these for specific indications, when might one approach be preferable to the other? So it really comes down to whether a single antigen target makes sense for a particular disease or you need a multi-antigen uh, target approach because of a heterogeneous uh, disease. For example, again, like AML, uh, we know that in AML, a single target is unlikely to clear for most patients, their entire tumor burden. And so an arc sparks approach would be really valuable there. Whereas in myeloma, where our lead indication is uh, a single, uh, a CAR-T targeting just BCMA 
does an incredible job of, of cleaning, uh, clearing uh, tumors. So it really just comes down to the indication. And what's really exciting about our platform is we could choose the right approach for the right indication, and we're not constrained by a singular approach that allows us to deal with the complexities of cancer. Let's talk about your, your lead experimental candidate. You mentioned it's in a development to treat multiple myeloma. For listeners not familiar with the condition, what is it? So multiple myeloma is the third most common uh, blood cancer. It is a hematologic cancer of the bone marrow. Uh, unfortunately, it is incurable and has a, a very high uh, incidence rate. 100,000 patients or more can be diagnosed with myeloma uh, every year. And how does it manifest itself and progress? So myeloma uh, is a function of disease plasma cells that tend to proliferate and accumulate in the bone marrow, as I mentioned earlier. And what they do is they really crowd out healthy blood cells and cause bone lesions, loss of bone density, and in some cases, bone fractures. These abnormal plasma cells can also produce an excess uh, amount of an abnormal immunoglobulin uh, called a myeloma protein or M protein. And that M protein can proliferate and cause kidney damage and impair the patient's immune function. Uh, multiple myeloma tends to afflict patients at an advanced uh, age, and patients often have multiple comorbidities that really uh, make treating the disease more difficult as it can quickly escalate and become uh, life-threatening. How is the condition treated today, and what's generally the prognosis for someone with it? There's really no standard uh, uh, way to treat myeloma given just the variability of the disease and physician, uh, physician uh, preference. After diagnosis, the first two treatment options are generally chemotherapy and transplant, bone marrow transplant, if the patient is eligible. After that, a range of combination therapies, including immunomodulators, proteasome inhibitors, steroids, and monoclonal antibodies are utilized. And in combination, those uh, comprise about the first four lines of therapy. Uh, in terms of prognosis, the average without CAR T therapy is changing dynamically given the advent of new uh, treatments. But on average, everyone, uh, the average survival is about seven years or so. High risk patients may have a survival closer to three to four years, and lower risk patients can have a survival of 10 or more years. Uh, CAR T therapy provides an additional uh, two plus years um, of survival. And what's really important about CAR T therapy is those are two or more high quality uh, years of survival. Given that it is a single treatment, there is no ongoing maintenance or dosing. Uh, it is a wonderful therapy for patients who are el eligible and get a response. Your lead experimental therapy is a DDBCMA CAR T therapy. What is this and how does it work? So our, our lead, uh, lead therapy is based on our D-domain uh, technology targeting BCMA for the treatment of multiple myeloma. And it's currently in a phase one study for patients with refractory and relapsed uh, multiple myeloma. And what's known about it from studies that have been done to date? So we did present an update of our phase one results at the ASCO meeting in June uh, of this year, uh, where we reported uh, really robust long-term clinical responses 
in a patient population with incredibly uh, poor prognostic factors, uh, especially patients with what's called extramedullary disease. So even though myeloma is a hematologic cancer, in some patients, they actually form solid tumor masses outside of the bone marrow, for example, in the soft tissue like the liver or the kidneys, and that's called extramedullary disease. And those patients have historically been incredibly uh, difficult to treat. Uh, but despite that, we have shown uh, remarkable results overall, and particularly in that patient population. Uh, to give you a sense of those results, with a median follow-up of 12.1 months at the time of ASCO, we had a 100% overall response rate. 71% of evaluable patients achieved the uh, complete response or a stringent complete response, and that was 22 out of the 31 evaluable patients. 94% of those patients, 29 out of 31, achieved a very good partial response or better. Uh, very notably, though, 13 of, of 16 patients with 12 months or more follow-up, uh, which was 81% of patients dosed, achieved a complete response or a stringent complete response, which is really uh, evidenced by the fact that responses tend to deepen over time. And even more notably, eight out of those 16 or 50% had extramedullary disease, which again is perhaps the most negative prognostic factor uh, for these patients. I'd also note that 56% uh, of patients um, uh, remained in an ongoing response with a medium follow-up of 17.7 uh, months in that uh, patient population, that's 16 patients that had 12 months or more of follow-up. So overall, uh, obviously, this is still a phase one study, but uh, these are fairly remarkable results, particularly, again, given the patient population uh, and, and really have us believing that we may have the potential for a best-in-class therapeutic in this category, obviously pending our phase two uh, pivotal study uh, down the road here. Oh, what is the development path forward? Uh, so we are uh, excited to, uh, to be planning to initiate our phase two pivotal study by year end this year. Uh, we, uh, we have already selected our, our recommended uh, phase two dose. I should mention too, one of the things that we're most excited about in addition to that incredible uh, efficacy profile I, I shared is the safety of DDBCMA. Uh, we have yet to see a single uh, event of grade three CRS uh, in our recommended phase two dose and only one case of grade three uh, ICANs or neurotoxicity. Um, and that really has us very encouraged heading into the phase two pivotal study. You're also developing ACLX001. This is an ARC-SPARC cell therapy for multiple myeloma. This is also in clinical testing. How does this work? So uh, ACLX001 is part of that, again, that ARC-SPARC's technology. So it allows us to dose the T cells separately from the binding domain. In this particular case, this is uh, very similar to our lead program, DDBCMA, in that we're targeting the same uh, same BCMA uh, antigen expression. Uh, and there are really two goals for this program. The near-term goal is to really demonstrate the power of the platform and show that this ARC-SPARC technology can effectively work and eradicate um, tumors. Uh, in the long term, uh, we will continue to mine for additional targets for myeloma. And for those 20% or so patients that don't respond 
long-term uh, to a single, um, single infusion CAR-T. Uh, arc sparks for myeloma could be a rescue therapy or a relapse therapy that we introduce down the line to build a broader myeloma franchise. What's note about ACLX001 from studies that have been conducted to date? So not a lot other than that we've initiated our first study with this technology uh, and we are planning to announce data uh, from that study sometime in 2023. You fared better than many other public biotechs these days. You've raised $128.8 million in June in a public offering. How far will existing cash take you? So, look, it's obviously been a really difficult year in, in biotech, particularly in the, in the public markets, and, and we have fared uh, really well. And, you know, credit uh, always starts with our people. I think we've had incredible people in this organization, uh, and we've really leaned into diversity to build both our culture and our team. And uh, hopefully the results are evident that I do believe that um, that is the right way to build organizations and certainly uh, yields uh, results. Uh, you know, in our organization, women represent... 40% of our leadership team and 43% of our board of directors. People of color represent 60% of our leadership team and 71% of our board of directors. And I think that uh, that strength has really shown through in our uh, execution. It also helps a ton, obviously, to have great data, which I shared with you earlier today, and we continue to, to execute there and, and hope that we can uh, bring this therapy into what is a very large addressable market and help a lot of patients along the way. So I do... Uh, believe the combination of those things that just incredible people and culture, uh, great data and uh, an attractive market opportunity has really helped us be successful. In terms of the actual metrics, we ended the second quarter with $307 million in cash and expect this cash to fund operations through at least the next 12 months. Rami Elgondor, Chairman and CEO of Arcelix. Rami, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Danny. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.